Artist Holly Wilson tells us, while visiting New York, I was asked once if I felt like I was home. Lenape, Hoking. I am Delaware Nation and Cherokee Nation, born in Lawton, Oklahoma, and the idea of home has been a thought for me in all my travels. I ask myself, could this be a place I would call home? I feel the connection to certain places as if I have been there, like a deja vu, a memory in a thick fog. But when I think of home, it is not a place, but the people I'm with. It is that feeling you get when you know you can relax and just be. For me, that is my family with our two oversized dogs, three cats, and the neighbor's chickens who visit me daily. Sometimes they leave me eggs as gifts. I live in Oklahoma, where the sky is so big it feels like you can see both sides of the world. The sunrises are filled with pinks and purples that stop you in your tracks, and the sunsets fill the sky like a red fire that does not burn but can make me tear up from its beauty. The weather can be extreme and sometimes come all at once, but the one constant is the wind. She carries the smell of the rain, the sounds of the cicada in the late summer, and the seeds of tomorrow with her. And when the air is still, you ask where she is. I can sit in the field and close my eyes and know I am home. I feel the wind on my face and hear my family in the distance. I carry my heritage with me wherever I go. It is my heartbeat, low and deep in my body. It keeps me centered and reminds me I never walk alone. Words of artist Holly Wilson from an article titled The Mystery of Who We Will Become in World Literature Today from May 2022 by Alexandra McManus. Holly Wilson will travel to northeastern Pennsylvania to present an artist's talk this Monday at the Pauli Friedman Art Gallery at Misericordia University in Dallas, where there is a solo exhibition of her work titled On Turtle's Back, Holly Wilson. While she is in the region, Wilson plans to visit a cultural center of her people and spend time driving through these places her ancestors inhabited well before the Europeans arrived on these shores. Dr. Lane Little is director of the Pauli Friedman Art Gallery, and she had the opportunity to visit a gallery featuring Holly Wilson's work while she was in New Mexico. And she was so moved and impressed by what she experienced that she contacted Wilson to arrange a pop-up show and ultimately this one-person exhibit. Dr. Little paid a visit to the WVIA studios, and together we placed a call to Holly Wilson in anticipation of her return to the East for Monday's presentation. And we began with Holly Wilson's origins. I'm Delaware Nation. I'm an enrolled member of the Delaware Nation. But I actually have Delaware on two sides of my family, both on my great-grandmother's side as well as on my great-grandfather's side. And the research that I've done and the information I've gotten from my tribe and my mom is this idea that we originated up in that region in a couple of different locations, and then we have been removed and pushed eight times across the country. And so it's this strange idea of 
whenever I am always traveling, I'm always trying to find home. Like, what is that idea of home in the back of my head? So coming here, here as in there, it's been interesting because I haven't been in a place uh, until just in the last few years that is a place that people before me have ever been. So there's a bittersweetness to it and a beauty to it at the same time. And in this next trip, when I come up, I actually am taking extra time to travel up. We have a tribal office in Pennsylvania that I plan on stopping at to try and find a little more information out and then just uh, driving around to see more of the area, some connections with more things that my tribe has told me information about. So it is an interesting thing, this idea of thinking about place and where family began and where we are now. How did the world of visual arts come into your... How was it that you began to express yourself through art? Well, I actually was really lucky in that my dad was originally a painter. He grew up in Idabel, and that was what he, I think, in, in his heart was planning to do with his life. And then his family was very pressure-oriented to get a real job, and he ended up in education. And he started teaching at the Fort Sill Indian School in Lawton, and that is where he met my mom. And he was art club. He taught art. He also helped with the dance club where they would put on exhibitions for people, and he helped them create regalia. So I kind of grew up in and around art as a child, and my mom did craft-based things. And so it was one of those things that every day you were in it and around it. And my mom always told the story that uh, at one point in the summers, they would go to Fort Collins and he was working on an architecture degree. And I'd wake him up and he'd have his pencils and coffee and we would sit and draw. And it's a memory from far, far away, but it has for me always been storytelling when I make art, even when I was really young and all the way through school. So junior high, high school, into college, it has always been the only thing I really wanted to do. At first, you told us it was clay, 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 but you work in bronze and paint and encaustic and photography and glass as well as clay. To me, whenever I make work, it's not about a solid material. Some people, they're just a painter or they're just a sculptor. Not, that's not bad, but that's like their thing. And for me, I have discovered that it's the story that I'm trying to tell. And then whatever the material is, that will tell that story the best is the material I use. So sometimes it is paint and sometimes it's photo and sometimes it's wood and sometimes it's clay. And I'm going to be doing a residency next year at IAIA and it will be cast glass because I would like to be able to add that element. So all the way through school, I felt like I'm constantly collecting knowledge of materials to be able to tell a more clear story. And that story for me is a lot more vast than just one one thing. Holly, can you talk a little bit about the way that you use bronze to depict different materials? Because we have some things that look like sticks, some that look like cigars, some that look like, like the little girl's dresses, for example. And when people go in, they'll ask me, are these, they almost look like they're sticks dipped in bronze and not sticks made out of bronze. The reason I went to bronze from clay initially was clay, though I love the way it moves, sometimes it's real fragile. I was constantly breaking toes and fingers off of figures and having to go find them. And so what I've started, what I started using the bronze for is because I could make something and the strength of it would hold up so that I could have a figure standing on its toe. And like on Bloodline, I originally made, the bodies are 
from a mold of a cigar. The heads are sculpted wax that are then attached to a wax mold of a cigar. And then the legs are sticks that I have found in the yard. And then I then add the wax feet that I've sculpted to fit to the log. And then the entire thing is cast. And so it's not dipped. They're not bronzed where they're coated. The entire thing is done in a lost wax method. And so for me, each piece I make is an individual piece. So there's no additions or copies. They are the one of a kind. And if the piece survives, then it lives. And if it doesn't, I don't have a mold to go back to and say, oh, let me make another one of those because each one is different. I have blanks that I'll use, like I said, for the cigars. I have some generic feet and hands that I've sculpted, but each one is so rough that then it's a matter of me refining them to make that figure or that story how I want them to be. And I work directly in wax. I don't make things in clay and then make a mold of that and then make the piece. I like working directly in the material of the wax itself. And so a lot of organic materials are used from sticks to flowers to petals to pods. Um, I use thread, uh, flower petals. It's anything that I think that I can use, wrap, replicate, create that form or that shape, and then it's burnt out. Holly, you were talking about choosing the material based on the story, what's right for the story that you are trying to tell. Generally, are you working with all kinds of stories, traditional stories, stories that are sparked by an experience that you've had in the community? The range of stories depends on what you're encountering in your life. How do those stories bubble up and you say, yes, I'm going to do this? They are things that have hit me or affected me. And sometimes I'm not even 100% sure of all of the story until I get a little further into it. But there are things that are real for me or for my children or for people around me that I care about. There was a piece I made years ago, and it was this idea of being stuck, like where you feel like, I'm just so frustrated. I could go left. I could go right. You know, should I stay or should I go? And it's a little girl, and her head is kind of bent and almost touching the wall. And you can see her arms are down and defeat. And it's interesting because so many people have seen this piece, and they're like, oh, I felt that way. And, you know, me trying to finish my degree or they fill in the blank. And so for me, the story was actually about the death of my mother and she was in a coma and her body could recover, but she was she was gone. And so it was this idea of having to sit and wait for her to finally decide to go. And so that piece, I don't think anybody knew that's what that was about. They all felt that same feeling of what am I going to do? This is such a heavy story. And the woman who bought it, she was so connected to that on another level. And so that's the stories are things that are very personal to me. Sometimes they have um, stories in them that are all connected back on a heavier level to my culture, like bloodline. But they're all things that affect me, my children, or anybody that I care about within my immediate circle. So they're very... They're very real stories. Speaking of bloodline, talk a little bit about what that is. And that's if you've received our, if you're on our mail list and you receive the postcard, you'll see a a log with some metal figures on top of that log. So bloodline actually began, my mom has always told us about our family. We have this thing I call the book and it has all the histories and it has cards and information that goes back that traces, you know, through the BIA and through our tribal office. And it was always there, but it was never super important to understand all the minutiae of who everybody was because it was just me. 
And then I had my son, and I realized at that moment, when I had my kids, the importance of this idea of who we were changed because I had to pass it down. I had to be able to be that next person who carried the information. And so I started sitting with my mom. I moved from Chicago to Oklahoma to be closer. And we would sit on the back porch, and she would tell me names and stories and what they did and where they came from. And I realized that this was this was a big history of who we came from. And so I started to write things down. And years ago, I had made my first cigar figures, what I referred to them as. And this idea of the cigar figures came back around when I had my son. And the cigar figures come from, originally, a story that my mom told. I reimagined this story. And growing up, I always heard about stick people. And different tribes have different names. Some call them the little people. Um, I grew up hearing the stick people. And they would run through the night, and they were a voice, a body, a creature you never saw, but they would beckon you to come to the woods, to come into the woods with them. And it was kind of, I always felt like a real cautionary tale, you know, not going out at night and be careful what you hear. I didn't have any other information than that. But as a kid, it was enough that I was like, I won't be getting out of bed. <laughs> you have won this one. But at the same time, I was so intrigued to understand what does a stick figure look like? You know, these stick people would run through the night. And so it stayed with me all the way through grad school. And I had dated a man who would smoke cigars, and when he put them out, the body, the cigar itself, looked like a tiny body. And I just was so attracted to that as an artist. I'd pick them up, and I started saving them. And those were my very first cigar figures. And I had a very rough face that I made, and then I did the legs. And I actually found an early image of that, which was really fun to see. But my father's family had a jewelry store in Idabel, Oklahoma. And that was the first time I'd ever seen cameos. And one of my favorite cameos they had was actually a black stone with a face in it. And I thought that was such a beautiful image. Uh, we also had the silhouette drawings that were done of me and my siblings. And it was a way to remember family is this kind of side silhouette. So the heads of these figures in Bloodline were done in that form. So there was a low relief like you would see in a cameo. There was this silhouette, and the, and the figures that have no features represent people, um, children who didn't survive. And the reason they're there is when I was going through the book with my mom, she would mention, well, there were five kids, but they lost two at birth, or one died just at one. And they were there, they were listed, they were counted. And the beauty of the idea that even if your life was so small, was so short, you were still so important that you were counted and listed. And for me, that was important because at that point, I'd already had, I'd had three miscarriages. So I have lost three people. And even though they're not here, they're still people. So that is the figures that are dipped in wax and they don't have any features. But each of those logs began to be a generation is how I looked at it. And that way I could kind of separate them out. The first log is my siblings, my children, and there's five because of the three that I lost and the two I have. And then the next is my sibling and I, and then it goes to my mom and my dad. And then it wove back and forth because I wanted to see that connection of my father's family, my mother's family. And then the last log on the 13th log is James Bob. And he was the very first member of my family on the rolls, the Dawes rolls, to be counted. And so the idea to go that far back in time to see where these numbers and this connection, because... My son had to, we were putting him on the rolls, 
And to do that, you have to go through your mother's lineage and you have to find birth and death records to connect you. And so that was how the project began on Bloodline. And then the ending was I pulled the cigar figures back out. Uh, my mom had saved them. And I started to recreate these names that she had helped me write down in the cigar figures. And at this point, then I actually gave more facial features. And they're not portraits of the people, but they're this idea of who they were through the stories that were told. And the bodies are made of cigars for that representation of tobacco and that what is sacred. The sticks are an homage to the story that was told. The faces are done as a cameo or a silhouette to remember the family. And then I gave them feet because we've walked so far to get to where we are on this this land. And the land and the earth is the log. And so you see my family on the very top of this log in generations. But what I love is then you see this locust wood, and it's cut in half so that you see the life of that tree, that life of those years that that tree has lived. And the tree had come down. We didn't cut it down. It had some damage to it in the school. By my kids' school, they were cutting it down, and I started bringing the logs home because I realized that was where they needed to be. And so when I cut the log in half, I then figured out how to mount them so that it looked like the tree was just on its side, but then it was sectioned within two generations. And I debarked it, but I left. Um, I love that not only was there the tree, but then within the tree, there was a life living on and in the tree itself with the bugs. And so then you see even another layer of what is life on our earth. Now, the last layer that we have not talked about that everyone is just excited about is the shadows. Oh, The students yeah. especially so, are going back and forth on the wall trying to figure out how many people they can see with the shadows. One student asked me, how does it stay up there? Because uh, Windrider is so delicate and it just oh, yeah. looks like it's hanging itself on the wall. It doesn't look like there's there's just one piece, right, that's touching the wall. It's extraordinary. Everyone's really loving the shadows. Oh, nice. Well, so I love working with pieces on the wall. And one of the reasons is, like she's saying, if you cast the light, it creates these beautiful shadows. And on Bloodline, especially, you can almost see like three different shadows for one figure. And the shadows, for me, have always represented the idea of memory. And so if you think about memory, today and tomorrow, your memory may alter just a little bit because as you get older, things shift and change and what you can remember and what you can't remember. And so the shadows are this idea of memory that that's what we will end up being is memory, all of us, eventually on this land. And so I love how there's movement within there and there's some that are really sharp and dark and there's some that are faded and, and pale and like, uh, we need we need a hero. I think you can almost get three shadows mm-hmm. on the boy and the way the planes come. So it's this idea of how you mess with light to control this idea of your own memory of time. You mentioned the hero, and we have a chance to see that image online. And that's something that is staggering, even if it's just small online and we're not standing in front of it on a wall. It's very powerful. There's movement. It's dynamic in that way. And we just fall for the child who represents the children we all love and need to take care of. What was the impetus for this piece that clearly speaks to us today, but also, sadly, to all times in a certain sense? 
Um, well, the, the whole idea of that piece came from being with my kids and watching things they saw on social media, on TV, and how damaging some of the things are that they come across real benign, but they're not. And that was one of the reasons that we switched our cable provider and got rid of this and really started watching because of teaching that some of the things that are mean, that laughing at people was funny. And I thought that was one of the worst things I had ever seen. So it made me think more about how our kids are in the world and their innocence and how easy it is to attack that. And so when I grew up in Oklahoma, I lived in Lawton, which is right by Fort Sill. It's a military base, and it's an artillery training base. So I grew up most of my life hearing shelling going off because they were always training. And it was one of those things that after a time, you just, you're used to hearing it because we live so close to the base. And it turns out that when they do different runs to train, there are different levels of explosive on bombs, which I thought was amazing because to me, any amount of explosive in a bomb is is deadly, but they have different levels. So yellow is the highly explosive, and it went all the way down to pink. And then there was uh, blue bombs that they would put in planes to train people to understand the weight of what it was. And it was a concrete bomb just so they knew how to fly. And it, as a parent, you're on the ground and you're seeing things drop and land around your children, whether they're real bombs or these dum-dum bombs or just silly things that people say, you're worried about the safety of your children. And that metaphor of that damage of how it can tear up a kid was so devastating to me that that's what I thought, oh my gosh, you're our kids, they're so young, they're innocent, they have all these amazing messages and stories. So that became the paper airplane. So my son and my daughter and I sat and we folded paper airplanes for that piece. And it was real important that I had my son fold the one the boy stood on. I said, I want one that will really fly. So he he folded that plane that I then cast in bronze and all the planes are cast in bronze. And I really love that idea of here's the stuff coming in, but all the messages are going out and some are whole and some are burnt and I'll never make it and some are just partial. But it's this idea that this little boy is standing there, and it could be a little girl. It's, just, it's our children saying, I'm here. I'm going to protect. I'm going to save you. And really, it should be the other way around. We should be going, how do I help my kids? How do I save this next generation? But it's, it's what we do. We start fights, and then we tear things up, and then we let our kids go and take care of it. And it's, it's heartbreaking is what it is. We wouldn't have Holly here if you hadn't <laughs> been so moved by that piece, right? It's true. It's true. And when I saw it in person the first time, I was moved by it and I I couldn't I couldn't let the thought go. And then when Holly put it up in our gallery, it takes up so much space and it looks like it's coming out. It's almost dizzying, a dizzying effect to see the magnitude of all of the different sizes just coming at you. It's it's really an incredible thing to see in person. Holly, when you hear that, is that what you expect yeah. from people? Do you feel that yourself about the almost dizzying quality of it? Yeah, and it's funny because I see pieces in my head first. So when I'm making a thing, I'll see the entire... I won't even cast a piece till I can see it in my head and how I want it to look. And so... I get excited the first time I see it on the wall 
because it's like it happened. I made what was in my head. And then sometimes I get even more excited because it's like it's even better than I thought it was going to be. And that piece in particular, the movement in it was even more amazing than I thought I was going to get. And it does. It has this feeling that if you stand back and you walk towards it, it's almost as if it's pushing outward from you because the planes push out. And I love because that's the boy. It's his messages. It's more, you know, so it carries that message across that it's more powerful than you know. So it makes me really happy. It does. You're coming to speak with us, and there's a symbolism of the day on which you'll be speaking, Monday, October 10th, that is marked as Indigenous Peoples Day. Is it something that is very meaningful to you? Well, personally, every day is Indigenous Peoples Day for me, but um, <laughs> it's nice to be recognized. So I hope that happens on a, on a greater scale. It's, it's a great day, and I hope it continues, and I hope there's more knowledge I've shown that piece Bloodline once in Grand Rapids at um, Art Prize, and it was really amazing because I had people come up and ask me questions about it because they had no knowledge of Dawes Rolls. They had no knowledge of the Trail of Tears. And so I think with knowledge, there's power. And so the more knowledge you can share about culture and history and what was, then the more we shape what is today so that we don't do the same things that happened to my people, my family, or anybody's family in the past. So it's a good day. Artist Holly Wilson and Dr. Lane Little, director of the Pauli Friedman Art Gallery at Misericordia. Holly Wilson is exhibiting her artwork in the ancestral homelands of the Delaware Lenape at the Pauli Friedman Gallery. The show is titled On Turtle's Back, Holly Wilson, an exhibition of photography, installation pieces, and assemblages of cast wax, sculpted metals, and cut logs. The exhibition is free and open to the public and will run through this Tuesday, October 11th. The public is invited to a free presentation by Holly Wilson, and that's this Monday, October 10th at 5.30. And On Turtle's Back is part of a series celebrating Native American heritage held in collaboration with Misericordia's Environmental Studies Program, directed by Dr. Linda Auker, who is Assistant Professor of Biology. Again, On Turtle's Back, Holly Wilson at the Pauli Friedman Art Gallery at Misericordia University in Dallas, Pennsylvania, just outside Wilkes-Barre. The show will run through this Tuesday, October 11th, and there will be a special presentation by Holly Wilson about her work. And it's Monday, October 10th, from 5.30 to 7 p.m. And for more information on the web, misericordia.edu slash art, misericordia.edu slash art, M-I-S-E-R-I-C-O-R-D-I-A slash art. <laughs> 